Hey, welcome here, everyone. It's uh, so good to be with you, and uh, what a delight to be able to uh, bring the Word of God to you on this Mother's Day. You know, we uh, as a church, we don't feel in any way beholden uh, to what we think of as cultural holidays or, or hallmark holidays, and yet um, there is something about Mother's Day uh, that just fits in so naturally uh, with our worship as a church. You know, the ultimate result, the ultimate result of all ambition, uh, wrote Samuel Johnson in 1750, the end to which every enterprise and labor tends is simply this. This is the goal of everything we do, to be happy at home. That's what he wrote, to be happy at home. That is the goal of so much human effort. And you know, if the Word of God assigns the man, the husband, the father uh, to serve as the household's head, then what role does it give to the mother to be its beating heart, to be the beating heart of each and every home? So happy Mother's Day, ladies. Welcome to this time, uh, these next moments that we have together to uh, spend in the Word of God. And as I said, you know what, motherhood as a theme, it really fits naturally uh, into our Christian worship. You don't have to try to shoehorn motherhood in order to make it fit, uh, because motherhood is original to God's creation, and it's indispensable to our redemption. So it fits naturally. It just fits naturally. It was actually the door of motherhood uh, through which the Son of God was born. And so our salvation uh, came through that portal of motherhood. And you know, when you think about it, what happens in motherhood? Let's think about that. In motherhood, a woman gives the energies of her body and she pours them all out into this life in her womb, this other new being, and that pouring forth of her bodily resources, it doesn't end with the birth of her child, uh, but it continues. First as she feeds the child through nursing, uh, and then as she continues to nurture that child in a thousand different ways uh, as it grows and develops. A mother, both literally and metaphorically, pours herself into her child and gives herself to it. All of this is pictured in this poem that I really like by Christina Rossetti, which shows a mother carrying her child through this cold winter night and soothing that little child, saying this to it. Crying, my little one? Footsore and weary, fall asleep, pretty one, warm on my shoulder. I must tramp on through the winter night dreary, while the snow falls on me, colder and colder. I just love that poem. And there's a second verse to that poem, which I'll, uh, maybe I'll read for you later. Uh, but for now, just notice how in the world of that poem, the little one on her shoulder gets to fall asleep, warm on mother's shoulder, while the snow falls on the mother, colder and colder. And so what's happening there is the mother is giving the child her warmth, 
her thermal energy as she herself is spent up in that walk through the cold. And you know what? This is a good thing to be spent in this way. Now, one of, one of the greatest goods that you can be given in life is the chance to have your life energies spent in something worthwhile, something that you were designed to spend yourself for. And so motherhood is a gift. And for the woman who wants a child, but for one reason or another hasn't been able to have one, there is this aching sense of loss. And she feels like she would give anything if only she had the chance to be a mother and just pour herself out into that little life. And so we come to a woman named Hannah today, who we read about in 1 Samuel chapter 1. Now Hannah, we read, was the first of two wives, Hannah and Penina. Both of them married to the same man. And whereas the other wife, Penina, had given birth to children, Hannah had not. In all likelihood, this was exactly the reason why the man had two wives in the first place, since his first wife, Hannah, couldn't bear him children, while he had taken a second wife, who did bear him children. Now, as the story goes, this man used to make a journey each year to Shiloh, to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord at his temple. And whenever he offered that sacrifice, which would have been the sacrifice of one of his own animals, a portion of that animal would be burned up on the altar. And then a portion of it would be shared by him and his family, eaten together as a kind of fellowship meal before God. And so at the yearly sacrifice, this man would dish out these individual portions of that meal to be eaten by his family with him. He would give portions of the meal to his one wife, Penina, and to each one of the children that she had borne to him. But then to Hannah, we read that he gave a double portion. And the reason for that, we read, is that even though the Lord had prevented her from bearing him children, the man loved Hannah. And see, so you see the, the tenderness of the man, that, that he's trying to emphasize something to her, that even though you don't have children, you're no less. In fact, here's a double portion for you. That's how I feel about you, Hannah. But Penina, we read, taunted Hannah and made fun of her because the Lord had kept her from having children. And so each year when the whole family made that journey, Penina would belittle Hannah. And Hannah would feel the shame of her childlessness so keenly that she would be reduced to tears, unable to even eat or enjoy the double portion that was given to her by her husband. Why are you crying, Hannah? Her husband would ask her. And why don't you eat? Why so downhearted because you don't have children? You have me. Am I not more to you than having ten sons? Now, I'm sure that he thought he was being sensitive 
when, uh, when he said that. Am I not more to you than having ten sons? And maybe Hannah would have thought, isn't that just like some men, you know? Making things all about himself. Well, Scripture doesn't tell us what, uh, what Hannah might have said to her husband on that point. But what it does tell us is that once the meal was over, Hannah got up and she left and she just went off by herself to pray. And here's what happened. Eli, the priest, was sitting at his customary place beside the entrance of the temple. Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to the Lord. And she made this vow. O Lord of heaven's armies, if you will look upon my sorrow and answer my prayer and give me a son, then I will give him back to you. He will be yours for his entire lifetime. And as a sign that he has been dedicated to the Lord, his hair will never be cut. And so this was an ancient Hebrew sign of special dedication. But Hannah's prayer and her vow, can you identify with that? Have you ever done that? Have you ever wanted something so badly that you called out to God and you said, Lord, if you will only grant me this thing, this one thing, this prayer, then I, in return, will do this for you. I will devote it. I will dedicate it and give it back to you, God. Have you ever done that? I sure have. I remember calling out with prayers exactly like that in the days after my stroke a number of years ago, just praying, please, God, if you will let me live, then how I will love my wife, how I will love my boys, how I will live this life in service to you. And you know what? Those promises, they still guide me in my life today, as imperfect as, as my efforts are. And so though I'm a man, I can identify with, uh, with Hannah. I can empathize with her. I can understand how her prayer was like on some level, it was a life or death matter to her. How her desire for a child was just woven into the fabric of her being. But then as the story goes, the old priest, Eli, who was watching Hannah pray, he saw that her lips were moving, but she was making no sound. And because her lips were moving, but she was making no sound, well, he assumed that something was wrong there, that something was wrong with her. This was not proper behavior in the temple of God. Here was a woman who'd had too much to drink. Must you come here drunk, he demanded. Throw away your wine. Oh, no, sir, she replied. I haven't been drinking. I'm very discouraged. I was pouring my heart out to the Lord. Don't think ill of me like I'm some wicked woman, for I have been praying out of a great anguish and sorrow. You know, I read that, it just makes me think we need to be careful, right? We need to be careful that we don't make assumptions about people, that we don't allow some first impression to make us misjudge them the way that Eli did to Hannah here. But then, thankfully, once Hannah explained, the old priest believed her. In that case, he said, go in peace. 
May the God of Israel grant the request you have asked him. And God did. As the story tells us, when Hannah returned home and she and her husband shared their bed together, the Lord remembered Hannah's prayer. And finally, she got to experience what she had so longed to experience, which was the pouring of her energies into this other life inside of her. Until finally, she bore a son. Shumuel is what she named him, which we pronounce Samuel. I asked the Lord for him, she said, when explaining his name to others, because Shumuel sounds like the Hebrew words God has heard. I asked the Lord, and the Lord heard. God has heard. Shemuel, Samuel, Hannah's little gift, her own little treasure. And now that she had him, she was vindicated before that other woman, Penina, the wife who had provided their mutual husband with what up until now Hannah had not been able to provide and had rubbed Hannah's nose in it. Now all that was over with. That was done. Because now, Hannah had her own son who would restore her mother to her rightful place. His mother to her rightful place. A place over that snubber, Penina. Over top of that taunter, that replacement wife. Or so Hannah might have been tempted to think. For since a woman does indeed pour herself into her child, since she gives it her physical and emotional energies, you know, in some sense, her child becomes like a second self. It becomes like a surrogate self. That child becomes her representative in the world, her public glory. And so that mother will push her child forward, right? Keep him front and center. Brag about that child. Wax expansive about her child. Because in elevating her child, she is, in some sense, elevating herself. That is what Penina did when she lorded it over Hannah with how the Lord had kept Hannah from having children. Penina used her children to elevate herself over the first wife, to make herself more than this other first woman. But now Hannah had her own child. And now that she had her own child, what would she do with him? Would she take her turn? and lord it over her rival? Would she parade her little son up to the sacrificial feast and receive with him that double portion from her husband and lord it and her boy over the others and put them all in their place? Well, that is not what Hannah did. As the story goes, we find that the next year, when the man and his family went on their annual trip to offer the sacrifice to the Lord, 
Hannah did not even go. Wait until the boy is weaned, she told her husband. That is, until the boy is done nursing. Then I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Now, did you catch that last part? Wait until the boy is weaned. Then I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. That is, live at the temple, which meant that the boy would no longer live with Hannah. I wonder what went through her husband's mind when he heard Hannah say this. Like, am I really hearing right? I mean, I know that she promised that if the Lord gave her a child, she would dedicate him to the Lord. But I never thought that she meant for him to live at the temple so far away. What would this mean for Hannah? It would mean that day by day, as her little Shumuel grew bigger, she would not get to see him running from the field into the house. She would not get to hear him, his questions or his laughter. She would not get to have those slow moments with him in the dark of evening before sleep, talking with him putting her hand through his hair, watching him grow taller, watching his shoulders grow broader, more and more like a man as the weeks and months passed. No, with each week, with each month, with each year, she would not get to be treasured by her son as all good sons treasure their mothers. Samuel would be gone. Whatever you think is best, Hannah's husband answered. Stay home for now, and when the time comes, may the Lord help you keep your promise. So Hannah did just that. She stayed at home with her Samuel. For those few fleeting years, she stayed home and nursed her young son until he was weaned. Then came the fateful hour. Reading from verse 24 of 1 Samuel 1. Once she had weaned the boy, Hannah took him up with her, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour, and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. Now it's interesting to me, how the biblical text makes that explicit. The child was young. Why does it bother to say that? I think it bothers to say that because it's making the point that Hannah didn't fudge on her promise by keeping her boy until he was like 12 years old. No, she gave him away when it would hurt her the most. Then we read, mother and father made both their offerings. They slaughtered the bull, and they brought the child to Eli, the priest. And Hannah said, Sir, do you remember me? 
I am the woman who stood here years ago praying to the Lord. It was for this child I was praying. And the Lord gave me my prayer. Now I, in turn, am entrusting him to the Lord for all of his life. And so Hannah kept her promise. She took her child, her public glory, her surrogate self, into whom she had poured all the energies of her being, and she gave him to the Lord to grow up away from her. And you know what? The Lord honored her gift. He spoke to her boy in that place where she left him. And in the fullness of time, Samuel became a great prophet of the Lord in the midst of his people, all of which is summed up in the words that conclude the story of Samuel's childhood. And here's, here's the concluding sentence of Samuel's childhood. It says, The boy Samuel grew, both in stature and in favor, with the Lord and with men. Let me read that again. The boy Samuel grew both in stature and in favor with the Lord and with men. Now let me ask you, does that phrase sound at all familiar to you? If that sounds familiar, if that sounds like something that maybe you've heard before, maybe somewhere else in the Bible, only about another boy, a different boy, well, that's because it is. Because when we turn to the Gospel of Luke, written hundreds of years later, what do we find but the very same phrase? Only this time, about a different boy. Luke chapter 2, verse 52 says this, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and men. Now that boy too was a joy to his mother, just like Samuel was to Hannah, a miracle child, a joy and a sorrow actually, as his mother experienced the loss of her boy. And all of that brings me now to the second verse of that poem that I read to you earlier by Christina Rossetti. Now if you remember the first verse, it said, crying, my little one, foot sore and weary, fall asleep, pretty one, warm on my shoulder. I must tramp on through the winter night dreary while the snow falls on me, colder and colder. So that was the first verse. Now here's the second. You are my dear one, and I have not another. Sleep soft, my darling, my trouble and treasure. Sleep warm and soft in the arms of your mother, dreaming of pretty things, dreaming of pleasure. Now what I so love about that second verse is how uh, what, the mother what, what, her, what the mother calls her child in that second verse. What does she call her child? Her trouble and treasure. Her trouble and treasure. And that's what we'll close with because you know what, ladies? There are other temptations than the temptation that Hannah faced in her life, in her story here. 
You may indeed be tempted, like uh, Panina, like Hannah, to use your children as a kind of surrogate self, to see their elevation as a means to elevating yourself over other ladies. As we saw with Hannah, the solution to that temptation is just to dedicate your child to the Lord, to his glory, rather than to your own. But you know what? There's another temptation. And that temptation is to simply opt out. To not go to the trouble of pouring yourself out. Of giving your energies, first in pregnancy, and then in nursing, and then in becoming the beating heart of the home of your child. You know, to to pour yourself out, to to be that ever-present nurturing spirit that will inhabit your child's memories once it grows and leaves the home. This world, this culture, it would tell you ladies to just opt out of that trouble, both of becoming a mother in the first place and of performing the role of a mother once you become one. What this culture doesn't tell you is that in opting out of the trouble, you are opting out of the treasure as well. And this is nothing new. Because you know what? The growing good, the growing good of our world, it depends, it's always depended in some way on those ladies who opt in for the trouble of being the beating hearts of their homes and their children, the God-given source of the life of their family. And so ladies, keep taking the trouble. For us children, every one of us, the child of a mother, who are your troubles and treasures. For as with everything in this blood-blessed world of our Lord Jesus Christ, it is in taking the trouble that you are given the treasure. Let's bow our heads in prayer. So our Father, we, uh, we thank you. We thank you for the trouble and treasure of children in our lives. And we thank you for the ladies who have taken the trouble to make us their treasure. We thank you for our mothers. Lord, we ask for your anointing upon them, both our physical mothers and our spiritual mothers, that you would so fill them with your spirit that they would be enabled to pour themselves out like Hannah, like Mary, and like that boy mentioned in the Gospel of Luke who emptied himself for our eternal nourishment and growth. Your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.